Thank you so much for joining us today. We would love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment and visit NBCOcala.com stories to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to help support the ministry financially, you can give online or through our mobile giving app. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Help me welcome our internet family. God bless you guys. So glad you're with us. Peace to your house. You may be seated. You may be seated. Oh, yeah, and a shout out to my daughter, Greta. She's back at college, so I love you, baby. All right. Amen. Well, uh, welcome, and we're going to dive right into New View here in just a moment. Um, We are growing, and that's a good thing. And um, traditionally, typically, uh, a newcomer would come to the 1030 service. I guess that 11 o'clock, 1030 kind of thing is where people just automatically kind of go. And historically, that's been the case. So we've been asking you for a couple of weeks, uh, for some of you, not all of you, that would ruin everything, but uh, for some of you to consider going to either the 9 o'clock or the noon service. And uh, a number have already done that, and I'm grateful for that. Why are we even doing that? Well, because we're growing, and we do have room if we, if we make adjustment um, concerning parking and children's areas and so forth. And so we are working on some other things that will help us in that too. The other option is this. We could put out big signs that say, no new people, <laughs> you know, and we're not going to do that, you know. So we open, open up and um, that's why we're doing it. So if you're considering why would, why would I move? It's so that we can make more room for, for folks that are coming. And we have the room if we just spread everybody out just right. And so uh, it's a good problem. Yeah. I said, it's a good problem. Amen. Well, let's get into the Word this morning and uh, just briefly a review on New View is Christianity has an image problem. Christianity has an, Im- an image problem. There are negative perceptions that people have about Christianity and church at, at large. Some of those perceptions are judgmental, hypocritical, out of touch, harsh, boring, dogmatic, Weird, and on and on. And um, what we want to do is address those things, uh, and not all of those individually, but show you a better way to do this. Realize that the problem is not with God. I'll try it again. Realize the problem is not with God. The problem is not with Jesus. It's not with the Bible. The problem is with people. You know, how, how many of you know people tend to mess some things up, you know? And misrepresent things, misunderstand things. And here's, here's the bottom line that troubles me so deeply about this. Because of how some, quote, Christians can be and some churches can be, it can cause other people to reject Jesus. So it's not even about the church or us or anything. It's about Jesus, that people would reject Jesus and reject his good news because maybe a, a, a negative perception that they may have about everything. So what we're wanting to do is to give a new view. Everybody say new view. And actually, there's nothing new about it at all. This is just, we're, we're not adapting to culture and just, you know, we've got to change. So, you know, no, we're, we're serving an eternal God with his changeless truths. And that you come to know those truths, those truths set you free. I don't care what is going on in the world. So it's not us trying to please people or gain their approval, but it's, a, it's that we conduct and present ourselves in, in the right way. And so this new view, like I said, there's nothing new about it. I think it's what God originally intended 
for how we are to carry ourselves, how we're to live our lives, and how we're to present Christianity. Can I get an amen this morning? Let me read this to you quickly. American society as a whole has shifted from its early Judeo-Christian roots, and Christianity has lost its place of dominance and prominence that it once held in virtually every corner and platform of American life. Whereas once upon a time, Christianity was the voice and standard in essentially every arena, from entertainment to politics, from schools to the judge's bench, America was fundamentally a Christian nation. But things have changed. Didn't know if if you noticed. Things have changed. And so America now is post-Christian. But look at me. I'm not discouraged. I said I'm not discouraged. Because God has got to actually, uh, God's always ahead of us. And I just believe things are set up that we don't need to be discouraged. We just need to be focused on some things that I believe God is speaking to us in these days. So what has happened, the church, and I'll just say we, have lost our place at the center. So at the center of culture and and everything, we talked about all the arenas and platforms and areas. Um, Christianity, that once, you know, like I said, we we're fundamentally a Christian nation. We've, we've lost our place in the center, and that creates kind of a vacuum. And, and that with that vacuum, then other worldviews start to come in. Many of them are reactionary to a negative perception of Christianity. And so would reject things about Christianity. So you would have, you would have worldviews such as pluralism, postmodernism, relativism, existentialism, and some other isms, I'm sure. And they make their way to the center of, of, of culture. And so all of them vying for that. Christianity is now just one of many swimmers, you know, in the big pool of ideas and, and of, of, of values. Um, here's the thing, and this is the perspective I want us to have. These other worldviews and ideologies, um, they can't fulfill. They can't really bring peace. Um, Come on, some of y'all have been out and tried a whole lot of other different ways of living, you know? And at the end of the day, you're empty. It just didn't feel, it didn't last. And there's a lot of, if you study those worldviews, there's a lot of agitation, a lot of emptiness, a lot, a lot of things that go along with that. And that's why I'm encouraged, because although our country may be post-Christian, look at me for this, there's still great spiritual hunger. And when they nibble at all these other ideas and worldviews and still come up empty, here's what we must be in place and poised to do to present all of this in a right way, in a right way. So now when they take a look again at Christianity, certainly it will be something that, that, that invites them to taste and see that the Lord is good. Can I get an amen this morning? All right. Y'all need to perk up just a little bit. I'm just, I, I mean, I'm not your mama or anything, but all right. Um, Let's look at Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but 
but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Look at this verse. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Look also, uh, let me just say this. We need to live in such a way and do things in such a way that it causes people to look favorably on God. Not be turned off to God, but to look favorably on God. Look, look with me in Isaiah 58, verse 10. It says, feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. When we help people in their trouble and in their need, that helps your light to shine all, all the brighter as well. So let's do things, and do things in the right way that causes people to look favorably in God's direction. Uh, we know this. We're called to be salt and light. And what do I always add in? Sugar. You know why? Because some of y'all need to be sweeter. I'm not kidding you. A grumpy Christian, that's a misnomer. That's a contradiction of terms. Are y'all hearing me? So we're salt, light, and sugar. And when we're salt and light, Psalm 34 tells us, taste and, taste and see that the Lord is good. So when we properly are salt and light and sugar, people will be able to taste and see. But put it to you this way. When we are truly salt and light, they will be able to taste and see. What will they be able to taste and see? That the Lord is good. You know, you don't even have to know all the scripture. Thank God. But when you can share with somebody, well, why do you serve God? Because he's good. He's been good to me. He helped me when nothing else could help me. I sense his presence. When I'm all alone, I realize I'm not all alone. You know, and whatever you go through, he, he will help you through that. Amen. Amen. The Lord is good. So when we talk about taste and see, let me use a figure of speech here for you. How many of you have ever gone somewhere or whatever or been around some people or whatever and it left a bad taste in your mouth? You know what I mean by that figure of speech? This kind of leaves a bad taste. Well, we want to make sure that we leave a good taste. So they taste and see that the Lord is good. Some people are tasting, you know, don't, don't want it at all. When something tastes good or tastes bad, it, has, it depends on the ingredients. Hear this, hear this metaphorically here. Ingredients, was it prepared right? Was it fresh? And here you go. And was it served right? And so when we think about our life and our message and, and us being ambassadors for, for God in, in our world in these days, you know, we want to leave a good taste. We, we don't want to leave a bad taste in people's mouths about ah, Christians, ah, church. You know, we don't want to do that. We, uh, Alicia and I are friends with many waiters and waitresses. And they will tell us, we hate Sunday. Why do you hate Sunday? church people and if I find out it's any of you guys all right. but if something leaves a good taste it depends on ingredients was it prepared right was it was it fresh was it served right and I think you can see what we're saying what are, what are the ingredients are we preparing right are, are we uh, is it fresh with us or is it stale and religious and is it served right to others if something tastes bad, here's typically what you will do. You will either send it back if you're at a restaurant. You'll send it back or you just won't eat it. Or you'll cover it over with bread and 
your napkin or whatever, you know. And, and we just won't do it. My, my wife, um, we'll see a restaurant, you know, advertisement, a restaurant's coming, it's going to open up, opening soon, you know. And then we'll go, and this has happened to us a couple times. We go, and go like within the first week or two, and it was bad, and the service was bad, and all the hoopla, but then it was bad. And, and this is the way Alicia is. I'll go, you want to go there again? Nope, been there. She gets like one chance. Look at me. Same is true with church. Would you go? Would you go? Please, come on. It's going to be awesome. And, and come and leave a bad taste. It's like, no, no. Won't come back again. Now, I, in recent months, I've talked about this show far more than I should. Uh, but Naked and Afraid. Now, I'm, you know, I'm not recording them and watch. I, I've only really only, I haven't watched it that much, honest. Um, and as I've told you, there's nothing sexy about the show. They kind of blur out what you should blur out. There are a few contestants on there, though. They need some more blurring, just some extra blur. But it's a survivalist show, and they're naked, and they're just out there, and they, and they have to find their food and shelter and, and everything else. And I was watching recently, and um, this couple found these eggs, and they had not eaten in seven days. And so they're losing weight and with no protein and so forth. They're irritable and everything else, and they find these two eggs. They don't even know what they're from, but they do have a pot that they can boil, you know, and so they cook the eggs and then when they crack the eggs open to eat them, it's like black and green. And they're starving. Get my point here. They are starving, but they look at that and smell it and go, no way. And I want you to know that people are spiritually starving in our culture today. And, I'm, and they must see the reality and the depth and the, of really see the goods that are on the inside of God's people. Because, again, the thing that, that concerns me is that people would ultimately reject Jesus. And I don't want to be a part of that. I don't think any of you heard me on that. I don't want any of us to be a part of people rejecting Jesus. Because they need him. They need him. Amen. Well, we're talking about tastes good, leaving a good taste. Let's look at some ingredients here. First of all would be this. How well we love. How well we love. Secondly would be what we believe making sure that we're believing right. This also would include our, not just a belief, but it's a conviction that we have. That's deeper. How well we love, what we believe, and how we live. And when you put all of this together, and let me say about how we live, there needs to be some consistency in your life. You can't be Joe Christian one week, and the next week you're Joe Doper or something. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? And so make up your mind. And, and get settled in this, how well we love, what we believe, how we live, consistency in how we live, concerning our love and our beliefs. And here's what happens. Add all of this up, how well we love plus what we believe and how we live, that equals good faith. Good faith. There's a book by that title, David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons, kind of on this subject here. But good faith, let me word this another way. It tastes good. It leaves a good taste. When people love well, they believe right, and they live out their beliefs and their love, that turns out to be something that is desirable. Amen? Amen. Perhaps the most evident way and the best way to express these things is in what we say 
and what we do. And not just what we say and what we do, but how we say it and how we do it. How we say it and how we do it. Um, Our demeanor is virtually as important as our doctrine. Read that with me. Our demeanor is virtually as important as our doctrine. Really what it is, it's grace and truth. Grace and truth. You can't have one without the other. If you have have grace without truth or you have truth without grace, either one of them is going to take things off the rails. Either one of those is going to cause some damage in, in people's lives and in presentation. So our demeanor is virtually as important as our doctrine. How did Jesus come into a pre-Christian world? He came full of grace and truth. Everybody say grace and truth. Grace and truth. How are we to interact with a post-Christian world? The same way Jesus did. Say it. With grace and truth. I heard a story by uh, Dr. Henry Cloud. And um, I've read all of his books, I believe. He's a Christian psychologist and a godly man, a wise man. And he tells a story, and I'll just give you just the brief, brief, brief of this. Uh, A young lady named Ruth, she's 22 years old. Her dad is a career missionary. Ruth is just kind of going sideways. She's depressed. She's having trouble eating, having trouble studying. Um, She's just sad about things. She's messing with the wrong things and with wrong people. And so dad drags her in to see the counselor. And so he said, so um, nice to meet you. So what is the problem? And he's, he's focused on Ruth, but dad with crossed arms and furrowed brow begins to tell everything that's wrong. And Ruth doesn't get a word in edgewise. And it's all, you know, this and this and this. And if she would only do this and she does that, and if only did this, and, and it's just coming across like that. And then before Dr. Cloud could even ask another question, dad's right back in there with more and more and more. And so he realizes if we're going to make any progress today, Dad needs to leave the room. So he said, Dad, thank you so much for your input, but now I feel it would be good if, if just Ruth and I talk. And so Dad leaves the room. He gives, he gives just a second for the room to just calm back down. And he says to Ruth, he said, Ruth, if I had to live with your dad, I'd do drugs too. <laughs> what was the problem? Truth with no grace. Truth with no grace. And we're going to get more into this in the series as we go, the important balance of grace and truth. Listen, it boils down to this. It boils down to our words, our words being gentle and respectful, and our behavior being credible. Look with me quickly in in 1 Peter. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that, that you have. But do this with, help me, gentleness and, and respect. Verse 16, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Look in Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, and this is not just your, your words, it's your lifestyle, be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. 
And then in Titus chapter uh, 2, verse 7 and 8, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing to say, nothing evil to say about us. This, both, all three of these passages covered our, 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 what we do and what we say, what we do and what we say. And it's not just what we do and what we say, it's how we do it and how we say it. Our demeanor is virtually as important as our doctrine. And when we live selfless and generous and compassionate and reasonable, that is unassailable. People cannot, people cannot slander when you do things in the right way. Amen. Quickly, I want to tell you a story out of history. About one, 110 AD, okay, so Jesus has come and he has gone now to heaven and now we're, we're some 60 years past that. 110 AD, there is a Roman emperor named Trajan. And the emperors in that time uh, would all be treated as deity, as if they were God. Whether or not they personally believed that they were a god, they would require of all, all of their subjects to treat them as if they were God. They were required, even at the potential penalty of death, uh, to worship and, and treat and pay homage to these as deity. Trajan had one of his uh, governors over a province whose name was Pliny, P-L-I-N-Y. He's Pliny the Younger. His dad was Pliny the Elder. And he was a governor of this region, and, and uh, Trajan sent out word that he wanted in all of the provinces to make sure that people were worshiping, worshiping him as a god. And he said, I'm troubled by one group of people, kind of a new breed of people called Christians. So he said to all of his governors, he said, I want you to kind of scope them out and see what they're doing and what they're like. And so the, the letters that they wrote back and forth, they still have copies of these letters. Here's, here's a picture of one of the letters. I'm going to read it for you. No, I actually am, but not off of that. So at one point, uh, Pliny, the younger, he's not dealt with Christians before. He's trying to figure out, so what is it I'm supposed to do with these people? Because we're, we're kind of doing surveillance on their life. And this is what we're finding out. And so look at this, and I will read it for you. They asserted, and so he'd had even spies among them. They asserted, however, watch this. This is concerning Christians. That the sum and substance of their fault or error, so here's what they're doing wrong, had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to a God. And to bind themselves by oath, not to some crime, but not to commit fraud, theft, or adultery, not falsify their trust nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. In, in other words, they'll keep their word. They'll do what they said they would do. And when this was over, it was their custom to depart and to assemble again to partake of food. Can we get an amen? <laughs> to partake of food, but ordinary and innocent food. And this is reference to the fact there was rumor that Christians ate their children. 
because we had communion. They talked about eating, partaking of the body and the blood. So all this taken together, you know what he was saying? Okay, they're not worshiping you as God, but these are my best citizens. These are the best folks in in the whole province. The only thing they do that is wrong is they just, they have Christ as God. In essence, you know what he was saying? And this, this mindset, mindset should, should roll over into our culture. You know, I don't, know I, fu- I don't fully understand all these Christians, but I'll tell you what, I sure would like to hire one. Or I'm not a believer myself, and I'm not really sure what I think about it all, but I sure hope my daughter marries one. You know what it is? It's to be people that what they say and what they do just rings so true and so valid and there's life behind it and that we represent this kingdom in the right way. Are you, are you hearing me on this? And that's what we need to do. If we're guilty of something, let it be that Jesus is Lord of our life. Let the perception not be that we're weird, that we're disjointed, that we're out of touch, that we're harsh, that we're judgmental, that we're hypocritical. Let it not be those. Let it not be as our waiter and waitress friends feel. They're rude, they're demanding, they're cheap, and they don't give us a tip. They give us a track. Let's do all of this right. Can I get an amen out of Meadowbrook here this morning? Now, when we love and we believe and we live and we live according to what we believe and how we love, I'm telling you what, it's going to leave a good taste with people. It's going to leave a good taste in what we say and what we do and how we say what we say and how we do what we do. And you know what? That leaves a good taste. You know what tastes good too? Fruit. And Galatians tells us the fruit of the Spirit. Now watch this. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then it says this in verse 23. You ready? Against such there is no law. You know what that means? Nobody's against that. Nobody would be against people who would live and, and, and portray that in, in their lives. And the fruit of the Spirit, I believe, is actually descriptive of the personality of the Spirit of God. And what happens, the more that we commune with him, the more that we grow in him, the more that we spend time with him, the more we commit our lives to God. Do you know what's going to start to show up in us? The personality of God. And I believe then when we have that, there's nobody that's against that. And everywhere we go, we can leave a good taste in every situation that we find ourselves in. Amen? It's a new view. Nothing new about it. Nothing at all new about it. But this is what God has intended all along. There is spiritual hunger in our world. There's spiritual hunger in the people around you. And even people that are so bent on certain worldviews, give them some time. Give them some time because it will not fill. And we need to be standing in a place, already walking and living in such a way. Not put on, but it's the real deal. The personality of God, let it shine through us so that people can taste and see that the Lord is good. Amen. Amen. Did y'all get anything at all out of this this morning? Thank you for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.